Has anybody ever heard of a dude named Swami Satchitananda? Right? So Swami Satchitananda did a lot of really good translations of the sutras. And so I'm going to read you um, something from the sutras that he paraphrased from the Sanskrit. We're not going to change the whole world, but we can change ourselves and feel free as birds. We can be serene even in the midst of calamities and by our serenity make others more tranquil. Serenity is contagious. If we smile at someone, he or she will smile back, and a smile costs nothing. We should plague everyone with joy. If we are to die in a minute, why not die happily laughing? Cool, huh? Can I ask a question? Yeah. Swami's like a guru. A guru uh, it's like a, a teacher a, a status to say like. Um, so that's interesting. We have <coughs> we have gurus and then we have disciples. And what I'm sharing with you is a lineage, right? We're all part of a lineage, and um, then in turn, it's just a way of passing on teachings. So it's always teacher to student. So we'll find out that these creators of the Yoga Sutras we're helping to create an easier way to carry out this lineage because then we, it was written down and people were able to like actually study it and that it was made for householders and not just for, thank you, and not just for um, people who were um, swamis and left their homes and uh, were like the Buddha who walked away from his elite status and went out and was uh, wandering person with a group of people. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So how many of you have a hard time being sane in an insane world? Yeah. It's kind of apropos, right? Because um, right now we're having so many things that are happening. Our world is definitely not Shangri-La, right? Um, there's a lot of um, whiplash weather, anxiety, um, horrible tragedies, just you know, politics, and there's so many different things that are happening, plus on top of it, we have our personal issues, right? We have our health, our family, and you know, all this stuff kind of compounds. And what I really wanna share with you as we start going through this, and that's why we're starting off on the Yoga Sutras cheat sheet, is that this framework that we're gonna talk about is helping you to find sanity in an insane world. This framework that we're going to talk about um, allows you, literally what we're going to talk about in Yoga Sutra 1.1 is the moral precept and discipline of the power of now. Who wrote that book? Right. So the idea of the first stanza of the Yoga Sutras that we're going to talk about gives us the wisdom of yoga as a whole. So there's going to be lots of stuff that I'm going to be throwing at you. But I really want you to think about this framework or this moral guidebook, which is super difficult to comprehend and super, super challenging because there's so much stuff that's thrown at you. I want you to think of it as an opportunity to broaden your horizons that the practice isn't about the physicality, right? You're in teacher training program to learn about how to cue a class, about how to sequence a class about the poses and how to adjust a student in the poses and the meaning of the poses. But actually what we're really trying to do is teach this moral guidebook in a physical manifestation. 
So we're teaching a lot of pranayama and meditation that's going to help us to um, change the world. It's going to help bring people into the power of now. It's going to help people learn these timeless principles that seem really esoteric and super heavy, but they're not. They're really, really, really relatable to now. One of the biggest things that we're going to learn here is that if we allow ourselves to disconnect from our ego personality, and we're going to discuss something called Raga Dvesha in here, um, that your mind won't get agitated, absorbed, or distracted, and will find equilibrium or balance. That's a huge thing of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get rid of pain and suffering and irrelevance for others, you know, getting caught up in these horrible tra tragedies or having something get us so wound up that we almost feel like we have barbed wire around our brains, right? Do you ever feel that mm -hmm. way, right? You're just like stuck. It could even be like, I'm so hungry and all you're thinking about is hunger or it could be something that someone said to you and you just can't get it out of you because they just pushed that right button. Well, what we're trying to do, I mean, it's kind of like hashtag no biggie. It's really effing hard. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is transcend our psyche, who we are at this moment, trying to transcend our karma, if you believe in karma, because this is an Eastern philosophy, right? And we're trying to take and ease the burden of our life. Because our ultimate goal is to find harmony and happiness. I don't like the word happiness. I think it's overused. So the idea of contentment. Mm -hmm. um, and to be right here and right now. These were my thoughts this morning that I wanted to share. Yeah. We want to literally learn how to, and this is another sutra, we want to learn how to control the rising mind into ripples. So that it's not like this big... Highs, highs, low, lows, where everything's really erratic. But if we can have equanimity, we will then experience yoga. You ever hear people say like, oh, you know, when I practice yoga, I'm falling awake. I'm captivated. Right? I'm alive. Um, the sutras help us to connect with our inner spark. I love, right, total geek. I love philosophy. So you like Joseph Campbell? You know when a lot of yogis say, follow your bliss, and then they put in a really pretty picture, <laughs> and then they post it all over and stuff like that? That comes from Joseph Campbell and the philosophy of um, what he was trying to teach. But it's not the idea of following your bliss like just, you know, without any discipline or just follow your bliss and do things without, you know, thinking about the cause and effect of it. You're trying to literally get out of that agitated mind, that stress, that anxiety, and lift oneself up by the self so you can tap into your divinity and be dedicated to authenticity. It's really cool when you really start thinking about it. Um, so part of what we're going to learn is a huge part of yoga is putting your tush to the kush. What? Has any, yeah, right? Have you heard me say that before? Yeah, who said that? Natalie? Yeah, Medita uh, meditating. Because mental silence is where wisdom dawns. Oh, the little violin started playing. It's so pretty, right? But it's true. How do you feel after you do your physical practice? Great. Great, why? Peaceful. What's happening? Right? 
You physically, yep, you awesome. You physically exhausted yourself and move through all of these movements so that you, and the breath work practice, so that you can create space between your ears, a blue sky mind, right? It's a huge thing that, you know, mindfulness teachers say. We're trying to create this blue sky mind. Uh, Swami Sachananda also said that as the mind, so the person. Bondage or liberation are in your own mind, right? That psyche, that thing, that, that whatever is going on in our mind, it's really not us. And our yoga practice and the discipline of the yoga sutras that we're going to learn together in these two sessions is going to help us to get out of our own way, to get out of our mind and shine a light from within to allow you to not feel bound, so Swami Sachananda stated, if you feel bound, you're bound. If you feel liberated, you're liberated. Things outside neither bind nor liberate you. Only your attitude towards them does that. Mm -hmm. yeah. right, I know, right? We're all saying like, yeah, uh-huh. There's 196 aphorisms in this manual that we're going to read together. The funny thing is, the first sutra, 1.1, the power of now. Every moment with a breath, every moment with what we do in life, we come back to now. And if we allow ourselves to think of just not thinking of this text as something like really heavy or something that is too like out there, and we think of it as just being present within ourselves, not letting our shoulda, coulda, wouldas guide us, not letting our expectations or our keeping up with the Joneses or all that stuff that makes us kind of verklempt, um, then we'll have like um, a light-hearted, blissful space to really allow ourselves to shine. And that's what we're really trying to do in this text that we're going to be working with. It's all about uh, finding moral discipline. And in this text, I'll discuss a lot with all of you about how we're trying to become Pure of heart revolutionary spirits. It's one of my favorite things. It's one of the reasons that I um, started this little nonprofit stuff that has been going on for years. But it's amazing what happens, right? You guys all have to do a karma project. Mm -hmm. That's part of your pure of heart revolutionary spirit. Because you're getting out of your own way to do really cool stuff. As yogis, and we're going to learn this when we start going through the cheat sheets and kind of studying all of this stuff. Authenticity isn't our ego, its purpose is inner work. And when you start going into this cool inner work stuff, all of a sudden you realize, like, we're all one. That stuff that gets me so kind of just like stifled, or do you ever get so anxious that you feel that pressure in your chest, right? Or you ever hear like the news and your stomach goes into knots, or else like, you know, someone is um, doing something and you don't know how to like actually um, deal with it and so you internalize it and then you start getting disease, mm -hmm. right? There's so many different ways to get out of our own way and that's what this cool thing is going to teach us. So I'm really excited to share it with you. Because it, 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 I always think people are like, ugh, bleh, you know, yoga is either the philosophy stuff is really boring or I only... I can't do yoga because I don't look like the pictures, right? Mm -hmm. 
And what I want you to know is that you don't have to look like the pictures. Yoga isn't about the pictures. Yoga is about what we're going to study here in the two sessions together. So I'm super psyched and I really, really am excited um, because hopefully you'll walk away as passionate about that stuff versus like, ooh, I have to like, you know, have strong core or strong um, toned arms and that's my yoga, you know, or I can't do an inversion so I'm not going to be a good yogi or I can't twist myself up in crazy positions. No. Were you nice to the person walking down the street? Did you help someone pack their groceries because they look like they needed help? You know, that's the kind of stuff that is really what the practice is all about. Um, and so we're going to kind of dive into that. When we go to that first page of the cheat sheet, um, the Yoga Sutras is a concise work that describes an early stage in the philosophy and practice of yoga. Um, but this work shows dualistic and Buddhist influences. How many of you are in, like Buddhism, like Buddhist philosophy? Cool. So then you might, like, this might be pretty easy and pretty understandable, but um, the idea of dualism, and I'm not going to touch that much on here, but I did put it in an appendix for you. Dualism is the quality of being dual or twofold, right? So in our culture in America, and it's a great time because it's Christmas season, right? So we have Christmas and we have Hanukkah going on right now and all kinds of other holidays. Those are um, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are three main Abrahamic religions where only one supreme being exists. We are going to learn here the dualistic practice of body-mind, right? And that's sometimes a little bit hard for some people to swallow or because they might come from a really religious background and be like, well, this is a religion. It's not a religion, it's a philosophy and a lifestyle, okay? So if anybody asks you, like, is this a religious practice, yoga, <coughs> all you have to say to them, and you can, obviously, you're going to research this and study this on your own, but all you really have to communicate to your buddy is it came from a religious um, culture, right? but it is more of a philosophy and a lifestyle and a way of being. It's a moral discipline. You're gonna learn, um, take a shower. Saucha is one of them, right? It's like, okay, well, I mean, I learned that in the golden rules, so, you know, it makes sense. Um, this is uh, definitely influenced, though, by dualism and by Buddhism, so. It'll be interesting to see what comes up. And because this is not just going to be me having a monologue and we're all going to be communicating, I hope you all share your two cents and what you're interested in or like if you have a question about a word or something like that, that we all are able to talk about this because this is a big chunk of time to be together to review this. Cool? So um, if you're interested in yoga and meditation, Yoga Sutras is basically required reading. It's said to be the most enlightening spiritual document of all time because it's a guidebook to classical Raja Yoga. What does Raja mean? King. King, King regal. Yeah? So it's royal, the regal. And when we're practicing this, um, it's thousands and thousands of years old. You know, no one really knows how old it is, but they're giving it about 2,000 plus years. It's 196 compact aphorisms or observations on the nature of consciousness and liberation. One of my 
favorite Sanskrit words. What's liberation? Freedom. Right? What's another word? That's the Sanskrit word for freedom. Do you, do you, oh, you're just... Mm, I was saying, oh. I don't know. Oh, I thought you said, mm, it's moksha. 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 Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful word. Like another one, that 196, why they can do it like 200? Oh, aphorisms? I don't know. Yeah. And was it a he? Or was it a group of individuals, right? Yeah. So that's what we're going to discuss in a second. But yeah, I don't know. I like that it's not an even number. Like, yeah? Because it's like, why add four just to have 200? Like, if you only need to save this much, then why is and we're, yeah, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but this was teacher to student in the lineage that we're practicing. Um, it was guru to disciple. It was, nothing was written down. No, I'll look it up. It was all I said. I have an angel book, and it says every number has a meaning. Oh, yes, look up what nine, 196 is. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, so the idea of what we're doing is that because we're trying to find this freedom or liberation, we're cutting to the heart of the human dilemma. So whomever Patanjali was, it's all about um, therapy, in a sense. Getting out of our own way so that we can really find our authenticity and our true purpose. Bringing consciousness to a state of stillness, right? How do you feel when you get out of your head and you kind of feel more focused and um, kind of drop in and settled? Don't you feel like there's just clarity, clarity, right? Space, yeah, it's awesome. Um, this is also called the path to realization. It gives us a program on how to fill the primary purpose of consciousness. And it's an inward quest to realize our true nature. I like this one. It's a way to extract happiness, contentment, and meaning from the mysteries of life, consciousness, and mortality. This is a huge thing that you're going to learn. Pure awareness resides impervious at the core of each and every kind of sensation, thought, and feeling, whether we see it or we don't see it. And the routes to knowing this freedom fully is yoga. So this idea of moksha... I really, really want to make sure you understand it's a habitual practice. You know how they say, oh, if you haven't ridden a bike in a long time, you know, it's like really easy to just hop back on and start again. Well, that's true about yoga. But the idea is that if we keep doing this as a habitual practice, it becomes a lifestyle. And when it becomes a lifestyle, we'll notice in the third and fourth chapters of these 196 aphorisms, that's when the magic happens. That's when we tap into our six senses. That's when all this cool stuff starts to like really um, bubble to the surface that's been repressed because we're stuck in this like whirlwind of life that we've let um, consume us, the drama, instead of really seeing a higher space of being. Is it like opening the third eye in a way? Mm, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of cool things. You're going to be as light as a piece of cotton and able to walk through walls. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you really think about it, we're trying truly with this moral discipline, get rid of pain and suffering so we can find harmony and ease in our life. Right? And then that equanimity 
allows us to find um, higher states of consciousness and awareness. Do you know what sutra means? Thread. Mm -hmm. So sutra has a bunch of different um, meanings, and so I put a bunch of them down here on these bullet points. It could be words of wisdom. It could be a thread, like a string or a lace or a line that holds things together and is derived from the verbal root siv, meaning to sew. Isn't it interesting that he named himself Siv Ananda? Or Satchitananda. There's all these interesting... When you start looking into the words, you're like, ooh, how did you really... Because I, I never know if people picked their names or if they're, like, they were like you know, blessed a name or something like that. But they all have these really cool meanings. Siv, to sew. Rules hanging together like threads or interconnection. Um, when you start practicing yoga, right, we see that everything is interconnected. Yeah? And we also, as we take this great vow to be one, focus a lot upon the breathing, right? So I like to think of our ribs like a sutra. As you inhale, you create space and you're really expansive. But then as you exhale, we're always kind of churning and pushing out and releasing the toxins. So you can think about your ribs, if you want to, like a sutra. That you're just embodying the sutras every time you breathe. Because ata. Now is the time. Maybe. Uh, then this is my show and tell here. Have you all seen a picture of Patanjali? Yes. Okay, cool. So here's Patanjali for anybody who hasn't seen it, and we'll pass it around. Um, but Patanjali is um, what I would like to call the first celebrity yogi. If he had an Instagram account, he'd like blow up the whole... <laughs> Instagram universe. Um, the personal history of this yogi is shrouded in mystery and myth. Practitioners believe that he or she lived around the second century BCE. Um, Patanjali was a Renaissance person who wrote about science, Ayurveda, and Sanskrit. So we know that Ayurvedic um, theories and principles um, and the Dharma of that goes very well with yoga. Because when people were kind of yogis, they also were into Ayurveda because they were sharing the wonders and wisdoms of living right, eating right, and um, being mindful in everything that we do. Yeah? So if you're ever interested in a book, there's this guy named David Frawley who has a really good book called uh, Yoga and Ayurveda and Yoga. It's pretty neat. Uh, David, F-R-A-W-L-E-Y, Frawley. This person, um, Patanjali, was credited with expounding yoga's teachings and writing them down because they used to be passed down orally from teacher to student, right? So we've got the guru and the discipline, and then this lineage keeps carrying on. But do you know what guru means? Teacher. Okay. Guru, out of the darkness and into the light. Yeah. Maybe. That'd be <laughs> so awesome. But I want to really make sure that when you are thinking about all the stuff that I'm sharing with you and all the stuff that you read and anything that a teacher says, you are your own guru. 
Within your heart, you carry a portable paradise. So no matter what the teacher is telling you, you still have to find your own experience and your own thing. Now, other teachers might say something totally different, but I want you to remember you are your own guru and that what you're reading, you already know, right? This is your experience. This is your practice. And you already know all this stuff. We're just peeling away the cobwebs to unveil something that already exists within you. You wouldn't be sitting here if you didn't already feel something. Okay? Um, a lot of people, including myself, believe that this 116, uh, 196 aphorisms were an outcome of cooperative group effort that spanned several generations. Um, so that a lot of people wrote these 196 aphorisms. They weren't just like, bleh, and someone went like that, right? It just took time cultivating and nurturing it and honing it down till it got to its really most simple basic form that was easy to pass down orally um, before they wrote it down on parchment. May I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, aphorism, it, it, we can ask Siri, but I would say aphorism is like an observation where, or it's like, like, um, little nuggets of information. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, it's like a poem. You have little lines, stanzas written out kind of thing. So you're just, they're aphorisms, observations. So is it known if it was teacher to student and there's been so many people who have kind of like touched it in a certain way, like how much of it is true to versus like it was kind of like reinterpreted? Right. That's really great. Mm. Have you ever heard of the Tower of Babel? Mm -hmm. So in my kind of mind's processing of this, if they believe that he or she lived around the second century BCE, mm -hmm. so did... Jesus and the Buddha. What if it was the same person? Mm. I don't know. You know, and who knows how it got, like, it could be telephone, right? right? That where it was kind of transmuted down from person to person and could have been, um, what is it called, diluted, mm -hmm. right? But what I was just getting to, which is great that you asked that question, is that Patanjali can be roughly translated as falling from heaven or offering sacred knowledge coming from the heart. So when we see that Hindu deity kind of picture, you know, it could just be a symbolic kind of thing saying that Pata falling down and Anjali consciousness coming to you could have been just like a bunch of people sat down and then when they wrote it down on that piece of paper or papyrus that that's when it all kind of came to be that Patanjali is why we do Anjali Mudra. Mm -hmm. Right? We're holding the preciousness of our heart in our hands. Yeah. Um, so that this um, information just kind of fell into being. That's the magic and mystery of a yoga. You know, there's a lot of mysticism. Which is interesting, right? Because Anjali Mudra is angel, right? Mm -hmm. What does it stand for again? Well, Anjali means consciousness is coming into you. from the stuff that I've studied. But it could be angel if someone wanted it to be angel. That's what's so great about life. We can make it whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs>
Seriously. I mean, hopefully we're not living with rose-colored glasses, but we can like actually see the truth in all things and find easier ways to communicate something as simple as pressing your palms together in front of your heart, right? Uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out about Patanjali is that when you see um, the imagery of um, the picture, has like snakes, nagas, it has um, a chakra, um, which is this, uh, we think of the, you know, like the chakra, the vortexes of energy, but there's an actual object that looks like a chakra, um, that is called a chakra. It has a conch shell, and then there's all these snakes, but as he's sitting, we'll call it a hymn, on top of this thousand-petaled lotus flower, right, which we know as the highest states of consciousness, opening up, um, what's at the base? There. There's a snake coil, right? Three times. So, what do we know about the symbols of snakes? Right, yeah, the kundalini, right? So, we're already learning about that. This was about the energy, the uncoiling, the letting go, the burning off of all the impurities and the icky stuff. Like, have you ever seen... Um, uh, when you watch an incense burning, it doesn't burn down, right? I mean, it burns down, but what happens to the smoke? Right, it goes up and uncoils. So that's kind of what I really think is cool about the idea of the kundalini is that as we start to uncoil and it rises up, we're creating space, we're burning off all the bad stuff, but then all the good stuff remains. Right, And that's our ultimate goal, and that's, to me, why um, the image of the snake is there, because it's allowing us to really remember that part of this stuff and these moral disciplines are helping you get back to your true nature. And to get back to your true nature, we have to get rid of all of those agitated, absorbing, distracting thoughts or the things that are kind of like getting us stuck in those lower chakras, survival, you know, like all of these money, I don't know, think about it, sex, that's down there too, right? But then if we start kind of working our way up, we get into the heart center, finding our voice in our throat, perception of the third eye, and then even into that higher, bigger thing that yogis like to talk about called Indra's web. Have you ever heard of that saying? It's like there's something greater out there. And if we take the vow to become one, we're part of that whole bigger web. And we're like an open hara line, right? So like when you were talking about the Shashimna Nadi, it's also called a hara line, the golden line. It doesn't stop here or here. It goes out there and gets connected with everything, everybody, everyone, and then that's where we start to get elevated, and then that's where our hashtags positive vibes come from, and you know, all that stuff, but really, the idea is that you do vibe with your tribe, and you too can get elevated, and you can change your attitude, and you can, what was that thing I said to you, you can allow yourself to get into that um, allowing your light to shine and connect to your inner spark when you burn off all of the stuff that's weighing you down. 
And that's what we're going to learn through this process. Um, and that's what that picture of um, Patanjali is to show you. Cool, huh? Mm -hmm. The other final thing that I want to talk about before we start reading the sutras is the key, are the key concepts that I put down there. So remember, I already had inferred this is a Buddhist slash uh, dualist um, influenced text. And um, so Purusha is consciousness and Prakriti means matter. Another thing that I hopefully will um, instill in all of you is that there's Shtira Sukha Asanam, a huge sutra in this. Motion and stillness or sometimes defined as effortless uh, effort and effortlessness. So it's about balancing the scales, right? In Sanskrit, we call it tola, tolasana, scales, like those old-time lawyer scales. That's, to, that's what the word tola means, scale. So what's something else in yoga that is a yogic word that defines a style of yoga that's all about balancing something? Right, balancing what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. How about thinking, that's great. How about thinking about your breathing? We have a... Right. So we're going to find all of these things are just trying to balance. So a lot of the ways that we study or learn about yoga, uh, Shiva Shakti, right? We have Shakti at the base, Shiva at the top. It's the male and female, the masculine and feminine energies. It's, it's all about finding balance. So if you remember the word breathe, you pretty much are going to be the best effing yoga teacher in the whole world. <laughs> yeah? Um, and the final thing that I did for key concepts is, is that we're trying to find the power to be at home with all experiences and things as they are. Because the only way we can allow these timeless principles to really help us is if we remember now is the time to find balance and harmony and ease and really allow ourselves to let go so that we can awaken to our true nature, our authenticity. Groovy? Make sense? This is a framework, right? It's not, it, it, and, and, and um, we'll learn different ways especially when we start discussing the eight-limb path, we'll learn how this framework actually works, like cogs in a wheel. Cool? So the first thing that I want to go through, if we flip to the next page, is book one is called Samadhi Pada. So let's all say that together. Samadhi Pada. Awesome. And it's integration or on concentration. This is a chapter on samadhi, or cognitive absorption. Patanjali opens with the big picture, which is literally a roadmap to where we're going, to the state of samadhi itself. And samadhi is part of what? Eight limbs. Yep. It's the eight. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Are you ready to read? Samadhi is what? Eight limbs. Mm -hmm. So samadhi pada, and what's pada? Yeah, good. The foundation, the foot, the... Yep, exactly, you got it. 